Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden. You can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. If you like the show, please uh, subscribe, tell your friends about it, and I think you're really going to like today's episode. Um, I am talking with Tori McElhinney of The Athletic. She does an incredible job covering the uh, Falcons and has been up at training camp for the first four-day block. Uh, So I talked to her a little bit later on. Great interview. Uh, Just probably, I think, my favorite that I've done so far, and I, I don't mean that as a slight in any way, shape, or form to anybody else that has uh, been kind enough to come on the podcast. It's just maybe it is the fact that we had more to talk about now with, with camp actually happening. Uh, the fact that we've both covered the team and been at training camps together, standing on the same Hill, just watching because they're like, there's such a unique rhythm and flow and vibe to training camp. What is misleading? What actually can you kind of sink your teeth into what should you relate to the public? What shouldn't you, you know, what are you sure about? What aren't you sure about yet? So it was a little bit of like, we kind of spoke the same language and I think it's going to be very insightful um, for all of you. And, and that's what I ultimately hope that all of this is, is just a, a way to kind of learn a little bit more about your favorite team, my favorite team, uh, get a peek behind the curtain on not only a, a journalism profession, but also a sports team. And that was, I think, really kind of came out in my conversation with Tori. So stay tuned for that. But first, if you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next big game, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right. So before we get to uh, my interview with Tori, I just wanted to uh, kind of start off things by doing a little bit of like a, a stock up and stock down. And honestly, like I think that this is even way too early to even be doing something like this. But hey, got to create content uh, somehow. And this is at least a, a semi enjoyable way to do it. Um, but again, kind of take all of this with with a grain of salt, because as Arthur Smith has been saying in the lead up to training camp all throughout minicamp OTAs it's really it's a process i mean they're they're starting out from scratch with with a new regime with a new scheme just the coaching staff is trying to figure out the players the players are trying to figure out the coaching staff and it can it can work really well it could be great i mean it's not like the falcons are at some disadvantage compared to a lot of other teams i mean hell that Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the the damn Super Bowl last year and they kind of put together an entire team in the midst of a pandemic. So it can work out beautifully, but that's where we're at four days in is they they're still really trying to figure everybody out and and a player that we may like and may end up being very good may not being 
be getting a, a great run right now because the a coach may not have it maybe it hasn't clicked for for him with that player yet. And so that could happen tomorrow, the next day, whenever, but maybe it just hasn't happened yet. So with all that caveat, um let's look at uh three players, not in any particular order, who the the stock seems to be rising a little bit and falling a little bit. Um, so the first one stock up, and I think this is so far, we've done five days of camp. I'm recording this on Tuesday. The main winner, I think of training camp so far for the Falcons has been AJ Terrell. And that's a beautiful thing. If you're a Falcons fan, because we obviously saw everything that AJ did as a rookie and Tori and I will get into this a little bit later, but just, he was always around the ball. He was always making plays. I remember I, I wrote an after further review. Um, and if you're listening to this and you read one of those, then then thank you so much because the majority of my week kind of went into writing those pieces. But it was just about kind of his nose for the football and how he reads things. And it was a, a play against Minnesota. It was the first play of the game, in fact. And there was kind of a yo-yo motion with the receiver who was AJ's assignment. And so they wanted to kind of get him lost in the shuffle. And as he motioned across the formation and then the ball was snapped as the receiver was kind of just getting past the quarterback and it was either a handoff or a really quick throw, but it was supposed to get the receiver leverage on AJ Terrell with open field around him to, to make a play. And he got a tackle for a loss. I mean, he was so quick in diagnosing what was happening, navigating his teammates and then just shooting upfield to make the tackle and it was kind of at that moment where he had made some really good plays in coverage before but I was like this this dude is a legitimate star in the NFL because that was a play designed to kind of target him for whatever weakness the Vikings thought they saw on film your first 15 20 plays of a, of a game are scripted they they are things that a team has seen on film in the course of a week and they want to make sure that they exploit in their game script before the game starts to dictate what they can and can't do. First play of the game, they wanted to go after AJ Terrell. Now, whether that was a, a rookie pride type of deal, you know, make him prove that they, that he can stop us, whatever AJ Terrell proved that he could stop them. And that was eye opening for me. And it seems like so far in camp, he just is making play after play. He uh, apparently is, much more kind of confident seeming. And he was confident as a rookie. I mean, we, I talked to him. He, he exudes confidence. He's not afraid of the moment, even though he stepped into a very tough position for a rookie and did it uh, with COVID. He played extremely well, but if he has kind of taken that next leap, I mean, I, I told Tori this later on, like he could be a potentially, he's got the skill set to be a kind of a top five corner in the league. I mean, he, he can do it all. And I think, He'll be really fascinating in Dean Pisa's scheme this year because he does have some of the qualities of a man corner, um, even though the Falcons were a, a zone team really when they drafted him. But they, they ran a variety of different things. Um, but A.J. Terrell so far seems like the clear winner through the first five days of camp, uh, which is awesome because if, if he does become a legitimate corner, I mean, now now we're talking now. That's the type of thing that really can transform a defense. Uh, it's really it's kind of two things, a, a dominant pass rusher 
or a dominant corner. If you've got one of those two, you're halfway there to being uh, a really good defense in the league. And it seems like the Falcons may have found their, uh, their dominant corner. Um, all right. So the first stock down, uh, Dante Fowler. I mean, he's, they reworked his contract. I, and I think that was uh, a little bit, you know, it was obviously smart given the financial restrictions that the, the team was in, but it was a little bit of a, a warning shot, I think to him. And it says basically, Hey, look, we, we're, we didn't bring you in. I wasn't your former defensive coordinator when you were in college. Uh, yeah, you, you had double digit sacks in LA, but your first year here in Atlanta and, and he was hurt for a majority of the season last year and played through a lot of nagging injuries. So I want to make sure to give him the benefit of the doubt there is he wasn't 100% for most of the season last year, but it it wasn't what the Falcons brought him in to do. And this, this new coaching staff can't afford to sit here and say, look, you didn't perform in your first year. Yeah, we're coming to you looking to renegotiate your contract and he's got some things to prove. And so it absolutely does not help that he kind of starts training camp on the COVID reserve list uh, because he's not out there making an impact right now. He's not out there proving what he needs to prove. And yeah, one thing I know for certain based on every single thing that he has said so far, Arthur Smith is a, you prove it to me kind of guy. Um, He, he's looking for all of these players to come and earn their spot. And the fact that Dante Fowler is not out there right now, is it's hurting his chances. I mean, I he's obviously still a big part of this team moving forward. I mean, he's he is a good player. He is probably on paper the the Falcons second best pass rusher behind Grady Jarrett. And the fact that they are kind of employing more of that outside linebacker stand up rusher role, he fits that. So Dante Fowler is in no means like in bad shape, but it's just not a great start to, to his his camp with a new head coach. And hey, this is stock up, stock down. So if we're gauging the uh, the markets, I don't set the markets. I'm just I'm just reading, you know what they're what they're telling me. Uh, he's uh, he's a stock down for right now. Uh, so our second stock up, and this is actually two players. So I've got two players for stock up and stock down on on this one. Um, but just like we were saying with Dante Fowler, if if he's kind of missing out, the guys that seem to really be benefiting from that are Jacob Tuioti Mariner and Steven Means, who, you know, by all reports are getting the run uh, at first team outside linebacker, which is fascinating to me because both of these guys for a, a while, maybe maybe Tui a little bit more than than Steven Means, I almost looked at as kind of like rotational interior exterior guys. You know, somebody who would fill that John Kaminsky role a little bit. Um, and for them to be, I mean, Tori, Tori said it like Tui is standing up, just rushing off the edge, which is not anything that I thought I would see. Um, but on the same token, I like I'm, I couldn't be happier for these two guys because Jacob Tui Mariner is somebody who has worked his ass off uh, to really earn this opportunity and to earn it with a, with a new coach. I mean, that speaks to that speaks to the effort that he's put in and 
I think the respect that a new regime really has for him because it, a lot of times, like when a new staff takes over, they they don't have any history with these players. So what's endearing to yeah, I think of like Ricardo Allen and his story is well known and and that he came in as as a corner and was kind of struggling and then Dan Quinn got brought in and they transitioned him over to safety where he really started to flourish and just the intangibles that he brought to the team was very valued by that coaching staff. But if if you're a new coaching staff, you don't necessarily know all of that. You don't have that history with that player and so a lot of the goodwill that's built up over the years of the stuff that you can't really see on film or identify on film. It, it just kind of can get lost sometimes, but the fact that Jacob to Mariners is getting these first team snaps and the exact same thing with Steven means. I mean, the, these guys are, these guys have quietly been really good just away from the spotlight. And they, it's something that, you know, I've been able to, to see at practices sometimes or in talking to other players, just they'll bring up, you know, Steven means did this or, or just there. Sometimes their, their roles in various team organizations or whatever speaks to the, the way that other people feel about them. Um, and Jacob 280 Mariner has been incredible on special teams quietly over the years. Uh, so I'm really happy that both of these guys seem to be getting a shot. As I said earlier, I think when Dante Fowler does come back and when he is able to to be practicing with the team, like I think that he's probably knocking one of these two guys out of the first team reps, but who knows? I mean, the work that they may have been putting in right now could could matter. And that will be a situation where it really depends and and we kind of can tell how serious is Arthur Smith about the no, you gotta prove it to me. Your actions speak louder than your words, and just because you were penciled into a role previously doesn't mean that you're guaranteed that role now. So that's something that I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on. But those two guys through five days of camp, uh, definitely trending in the right direction. The, the guys who aren't, and this is through really no faults of their own, uh, it appears, but offensive lineman, Caleb McGarry and Matt Gono. Um, and I really feel for these, these two guys. I like Caleb a lot. Uh, he's, uh, super into like video games and, and, things like that. It's just one of the most gregarious guys in that locker room and was somebody who I it could always make me laugh. Um, so I, I hate it that he's out right now. It appears like he does have a chance to, to come back for training camp, but Matt Gono, it, it has been said that, you know, he's out for all of camp. And I really, really hate that for Matt because as we all know, undrafted guy, uh, definitely a, a project, but, it kind of seems like, you know, it, most projects don't work out. You, you kind of, we all do that thing where we buy into the upside and it's like, oh man, imagine if it clicks. And for one team a year, they get lucky and, and it clicks. Matt Gono is like a 75% click. You know, he's, if he's not a surefire starter, he's a very, very valuable six man off the bench, so to say. And that, like that kind of counts as a hit for an undrafted guy. And I was really excited to see what he could do with this new staff in place. It would, it seemed like he was going to maybe get a really good shot at winning one of the several open jobs on the offensive line, you know, be that left guard or potentially, you know, could he compete at one of the tackle spots? 
who knows um so it just sucks that that he's not really getting that opportunity to to work and and show what he can do with this new staff i i trust that they they know what he can do um you still have some guys in the front office who were around when he was drafted so i'm i'm sure that they're well aware of of the progress that he's made um I look forward to to seeing what Caleb McGarry can do when he gets back. That's another question mark though, is does he immediately slot back in with the starters or is it a little bit of a, Hey, you're behind the eight ball here. So you're running with the twos. I, I mean, he's been your starter for the past two seasons <laughs> every year that he's, he's been here. He's your de facto starting right tackle. So I assume that's where he'll slot back in. But again, just another thing to note. Uh, and that impacts my last stock up, which is rookie Jalen Mayfield, who has been the uh, starting right tackle in in training camp. And, and this was somebody when he was drafted. A lot of people, as, as Tori and I will talk about in a minute. Discussed whether or not was he at tackle, which he played in college in Michigan, or was he your kind of guy to slot in at left guard next to Matt Hennessy and, and Jake Matthews? And I, I think that he played really well in college in Michigan. This is something Aaron Freeman and I in, in a recent pod kind of debated because I know that he is not as high on, on Jalen Mayfield as I am, but I, I just thought he was solid. You know, I, I thought he was just a, maybe not the flashiest dude. He's not going to overpower anybody. His upside is not all pro whatever, but like he just had a really good floor and I, in an offensive lineman, that's what I looked for. His consistency is, you know, are you, are you going to get, you may not dominate a rep, but are you going to get dominated? And if the question is no, then, then that works for me. Um, and, and so I, I just kind of think that he's that type of player. And, and again, that's just as a rookie, there's a lot of room for him to grow and develop. And offensive line is one of the positions where you grow and develop the most as an NFL player. So these reps for him right now are invaluable because he's getting the opportunity to go up against guys like Grady Jarrett. He's getting the opportunity eventually to go up against guys like Dante Fowler, you know, Deion Jones blitzing around the edge or AJ Terrell coming off the, you know, not necessarily that a tackle would be the guy taking that on, but you never know. <laughs> um, and, and he's seeing it all right now. And usually the Falcons in the past have taken it slowly with their offensive linemen, especially a third round pick, you know, Chris Lynchham and Caleb McGarry is first round picks. We're we're getting in the mix, but even then they they were kind of brought along a little bit slowly. They weren't, you know, full tilt just saying, yeah, these guys are our starters right out of the gate. I, I think with Chris, it was a little bit more known, but that, that that's not something that always happens. And so for Jalen to be getting these reps, this opportunity is awesome for him and for the Falcons depth as a whole, because even if he slots in as a backup this season, these reps and and this time of the year will be very impactful for him whenever he does see the field. And like all players, eventually he's going to see the field. Um, So the final stock down is another rookie, the player taken one round ahead of Jalen Mayfield, and that's Richie Grant. And, And I say this definitely, definitely with a huge grain of salt because Richie Grant is arguably, and, and I mean, Kyle Pitts, I almost put him in a totally different category because he could like an argument could be made that he was the most exciting player in this entire draft and that whatever team got him would be 
like, hell yeah, we got Kyle Pitts. Um, and, and I definitely am, but Richie Grant is, is kind of like my favorite player in this draft class. Uh, because I, I think I was very, very high on, um, Antoine Winfield Jr. and, and Jeremy Chin last year in the draft. Um, and, and obviously they went to Tampa Bay and, and Carolina respectively, but he's kind of like that type of safety, a little like Buddha Baker ish, just kind of on the, on the smaller end, but does like everything really well. Like super versatile is a playmaker. He's not, not necessarily elite in like one specific thing, but he's very good in all of the different things and you can move him around. He's got good quickness. He's got good, you know, speed. He's got good instincts. He can communicate really well on the back end. And I love all of those things. Like if I really want one of those safeties on my team and that's kind of different from what the Falcons have had in years past where you, you look at Keanu heavy hitter. He's a Willie Moe type, just a hammer going to kill anybody 10 yards within the line of scrimmage and, and just be downhill. Rico, um, probably maxed out his physical gifts, but he was off the charts intellectually communicated, saw everything, got everybody where they needed to go and was fearless. He would do whatever was asked of him and, and do it happily. And then Demonte Casey is a little undersized, but great ball instincts. You, you get the picture. He Richie grants like a little bit of all of that, but it kind of seems like right now he's, he's not getting, certainly not getting the first team reps, a little bit of the second team reps, but not super in the mix, which is curious to me. Um, And I I think that probably speaks to something that's happening in the film rooms and in just the, the team meeting rooms, the, the safety room, just there, there's something where it's not 100% clicking with, the install and then replicating the assignment out on the field that can be fixed. That's easily fixable. That's just reps. That's experience. Um, so for a rookie to be dealing with that, no issue at all. And safety is a pretty complex position. Um, it's, it's not, it's not like, you know, he's a star pass rusher and it's put your hand on the ground and just go get the quarterback. Um, it, there's a little bit more to it and they do have two, really good safeties, uh, veteran safeties in Deron Harmon and Eric Harris, who by all accounts seem to be having pretty good camps as well. So there's a little bit of that there, but I don't know. I'm going to keep my eye on Richie Grant and just see and, and track his progress. Certainly with the preseason games, if he's not part of the the starting lineup or, or even kind of the second team, he could be one of the rookies that gets a lot of play this preseason. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, that's a good reason to watch all the preseason games, right? Uh, one of the most exciting rookies on this team is out there uh, a good amount. I I'm certainly watching for that, but yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on Richie Grant um, and see hopefully as he progresses and I hope kind of competes is, is certainly that third safety Jalen Hawkins is, is good as well. And he's in the mix. Minimum, I, I need Richie to at least be the fourth safety on this depth chart. And any, I mean, by all accounts will be. He's your second round pick. There's no worry there about him not making the team, but would like to see a little bit more. So 
with all that, uh, now is is a much, much more extensive deep dive with Tori McElhaney, who has been at all of the practices so far and just great insight on what the Falcons have been doing through the first four days of training camp. So here we go. Tori McElhaney, uh, an incredible writer for The Athletic who is covering all things Falcons, uh, has spent the last, is it four days now, Tori, of training camp that have gone by? Yeah, yeah, four days. I think we had two without fans and then two with fans. At this point, I don't know what day it is. So all I know (laughs) is they put the pads on on Tuesday and I'll be there, but that's it. (laughs) There you go. But um, you've done great coverage so far of the first four days, uh, the first block, but everybody can follow you on Twitter to see all of that amazing coverage uh, at Tori underscore McElhaney. So super easy, simple there. Good, good Twitter handle get um, by you. But I don't, uh, let's just, let's just start with what are like your overarching vibes from the first block? Obviously things are different now for the first time in the past four or five years with DQ no longer around and, and a whole new regime. How how have you been able to kind of see the similarities, the the contrasts? Uh, just what are the vibes from the first block? Yeah, it's very different. You can really tell how early they are in like this install process. You know, there's a lot that they're throwing at these guys. And I think Arthur Smith's favorite uh, comment, and I think he said this almost every single day, but it's really like pounding it in. It's like, we want to make it hard on these guys. Like we want to push them because we want to see how much they can handle. And I think that is something that, even I'm sure in like meeting rooms and when they're going over things, not on the field. I mean, I'm sure it's even tougher, but like, I just know from my perspective, you know, when I'm on the sidelines and I'm watching, there is this expectation of like, we're going to do this and we're going to do it right. And we're going to be clean. And we're going to, you know, one of the funniest things was on Saturday when the fans were there and Arthur Smith made the entire offense, literally all 11 guys of the starting would be starting (laughs) offense. he made them take a lap around the field because they all messed up. And it was so funny because it's like, it's that type of stuff. Like, you know, it's yeah. getting back to the the nitty gritty of like, okay, what methods of discipline are we using? Oh, we're going to go back to when these guys were 10 years old and you had to take a lap. <laughs> like, you know, like that. They're going to the, start doing up downs. Yeah, exactly. When that happens. Oh man, I I'll have to call my dad about that because like, <laughs> that'll be crazy. Um, my dad was a high school football coach. So like nice. tried and true method, uh, yeah. the up downs. Um, but, but no, I mean, that's what it is. There's, I think even the very first day of camp, Grady Jarrett was like, you know, Arthur Smith's no nonsense. And there's mm-hmm. no, he even said, he was like, there's no slogans. You go out and you do the work. And honest, I know a lot of people read into that to be like, Oh, it was a slap in the face to DQ Grady Jarrett. I don't necessarily think is that type of person. No, I don't don't think he he meant it in that way. I think he really truly meant there are no slogans. There's nothing that like we are kind of rallying behind other than going out and being professionals and doing what we're being paid to do. And I think that's the way that I took it. Well, it Um, seemed like something that Arthur Smith has probably said verbatim and as a player, you know, you're, you're just kind of, passing along that message uh, and then it it can be construed as a certain way but I, I agree like we both know Grady I don't think I don't think that's anything that Grady would have tried to take a shot a parting shot at no. DQ like no absolutely yeah. not that is a, exactly I mean Grady Jarrett's no nonsense you know right. like he's I, I definitely didn't think that I know a lot of people are like oh shots fired like on yeah. Twitter and stuff but that wasn't the way I took it at all just because 
that's literally been what Arthur Smith has been preaching on since he mm-hmm. got here in January, for sure. Yeah. Did, I want to go back real quick to the offense running a lap because that, that was that was <laughs> awesome. Like just great content. I know yes. Arthur Smith doesn't doesn't care about, you know, whatever the like Nick Saban's like snap tool and all that stuff. I love when coaches just pretend like they've never heard of Facebook or Twitter. Um, that's always a funny thing when that happens. But I think Arthur Smith, a direct quote of Arthur Smith in one of the press conference that we have had with him since he came in is like, I don't do social media. I wouldn't know. <laughs> like, yeah. I, think, I think I vividly remember that being a quote of his. <laughs> but it was a great content by him. Mm-hmm. So if he was trolling everybody, that's awesome. But did the did the lap get competitive at all? Did Did people start like racing one another or how how what was the top three finish? Like okay. There? If I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure it was Calvin who was out front and then Russ, Russell Gage, and then maybe Matt Ryan was third. I'm trying to remember. I I know know they got him in the speed, the speed protocol. (laughs) It must be paying off. Honestly, that was hilarious too. And Arthur, we were talking to Arthur and he was legit like, yeah, we want Matt Ryan to be faster. And I'm sitting there like, Matty Wills being faster? Like, what? <laughs> and when Matt came up, cause we talked to Matt that day too. He, I asked him, I was like, so what's this about like speed training? And he was like, really trying to get faster. I'm trying. <laughs> it was very, <laughs> it was a very, very funny moment for sure. But no, he, I think he was up there if I'm remembering correctly, which all the days run together, but I'm pretty sure Matt was up there behind Calvin and Russ. Nice. All right. It's paying <laughs> off. So we're going to, we're going to see some, some rushing yards, fantasy football. People get on that. Matt's yeah, now a dual listen, threat quarterback. Listen up. Matt's gonna get <laughs> Matt's not just gonna take off in like a third and short situation when there's no options for him at all. Like <laughs> he's going for it. First um, down, look out. <laughs> <laughs> so you you wrote a really good piece kind of outside of your general like camp nuggets, which are awesome. And and they were one of my favorite things kind of to write just over the course of a year because it's like the only chance that we really get to watch practice. Yeah. And so you kind of the football nerd in you is like, oh, like that cool thing happened, like take a note. But your first kind of like big overarching thematic piece, I would say, was on the secondary. And you, you and I have talked offline about just it's maybe the most intriguing position group for this team. Um, what have what have you seen from that so far? Seems like AJ Terrell really looks good in, in year yeah. two. Um, Eric Harris, Ron Harmon, you've said have been kind of the first team safeties. It seems like Fabian Moreau is getting kind of that first team outside corner with Isaiah Oliver playing mm-hmm. slot and, and second team outside corner, just so everybody kind of gets the lay of the land. But I want to talk specifically about AJ and then Richie Grant. So give me your yeah. AJ Terrell thoughts and then we'll, we'll move into the safeties. Yeah, I think he's carrying himself like exactly how he should as a guy who came in with no rookie camp, no mini mm-hmm. camp, no OTAs. I think that gets lost in the shuffle. Like we talk about AJ Terrell's 2020 season and coming out as a full-blown starter. And, you know, I thought he played as well as you can expect a rookie corner yeah, to play. So and good. and then some, you know, like I, I really thought that he came out and was just very, very good for the Falcons. Um, it made you excited about his future. Well, now you're getting into that future. You're getting into year two. And I think he carries himself with that confidence. You know, we were talking to him on Sunday and I asked him, I was like, you know, do you feel like you carry yourself different? He was like, yes, I do. I have 
the experience. I have that confidence that came with a really, really good rookie year. And, yeah. and I think you can see him play that way when he's out there, when they're doing their 11 on 11 live drills. I think he, he, he just looks smart out there. He looks smart. <laughs> he looks quick. Like, I mean, I know that's a very like generic thing to say, but sometimes, you know, they're in the middle of this giant install process. Yeah. It'd be really easy for this secondary to get lost in everything that, you know, Dean Pease is throwing at him. But AJ Terrell really looks like he has a handle on it. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, he got an interception yesterday and it was a really great pick. But yeah. I'm saying that because just from watching him and talking to him, it, it does feel like this is somebody who is going to be a leader long-term for this group. And I asked Arthur Smith, I was like, do you see AJ Terrell as a leader of this secondary? And he, you know, he was like kind of, he wouldn't say yes. You know, he yeah. would say, he said like, I don't want to put that label on him just yet. Right. And that makes sense. Cause he's still a young guy, you know, he's still only in his second year, but he's so important to the Falcons and what they're, they're trying to build right now, because, you know, they have him for at least a couple of a few more years, you know, he's on that yeah. rookie contract. Like, so I don't think he's going any, he's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> like he's just he's not. And so he's such an important piece. And I think, I think you, he's one of those guys that you're really excited to get out in year two because you think about, I know Dan Quinn said this all the time when we were on calls with him, <laughs> but guys make such a significant jump from like yeah. year one to year two. And mm -hmm. it's like, what more jumping is there for AJ Terrell? And it's exciting to see what that kind of looks like. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like we're not even, we're not talking about him en enough, like as much no, as we not. should be. I, it's weird yeah. to, to kind of, it's like all of the, coaching turnover overshadowed the mm -hmm. Falcons first round pick being absolutely awesome. And yeah, it did. And it was like that, that the COVID stuff, like yeah. the, the whole Julio stuff, like everything that has happened in this offseason is like, how, why are we not? We like, I understand like all of that was very important. Don't get me wrong. I spent a lot of late nights, early mornings doing all that <laughs> stuff, but now that we're in like the football nitty gritty of it, we've got to talk about AJ Terrell. Like we have to. And I, I think more national people right. should be talking yeah. about AJ Terrell. I really, truly do. I'm not just saying that as like the Falcons reporter. I'm saying that as a consumer of the <laughs> league in general, more people need to be talking about AJ Terrell. Right. I, I mean, it's because if you look back to even as good as his season was, it could have been so much better. And that's where, you know, you think back to the number of times that maybe he didn't make the play, but he was mm -hmm. right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think back to, especially against Tampa Bay and new Orleans. I think there were a few different occasions where if he was on Mike Evans mm -hmm. and there was a comeback or whatever, and he was right there at the point of, yeah. of play and just didn't bat the ball away or Mike Evans made a great grab or what have you. And then of course, the dropped interception against Kansas city. Like if he yep. <laughs> just makes these plays, if that's, if that's the thing where the leap comes is now that he's not just there and makes it a really tough catch, but he actually makes it an incompletion or an interception. Yeah. I, I mean, he's got the tools to, to be what, maybe a top five corner in the league like that. He's that special, I think. And I mean, your point about just looking quick, looking mentally sharp, that's really all you can tell right now. Anyway. I mean, yeah. that's, that's what you're looking for with any of these guys is okay. Like how confident do they look? Mm -hmm. Are they where they need to be? Do they make that maybe little extra play where you're kind of like, okay, I could see that being useful on a Sunday. Um, yeah. 
but it, yeah, it no, sounds you, like you were talking about like that, you know, with Mike Evans, Evans and the comeback route and yeah. all that kind of stuff. That was one of the things he did yesterday. Granted, he was against Alameda Zacchaeus, who was not <laughs> obviously Mike Evans, but Very it was it, it was it was that play that you're yeah. talking about. It's that comeback route, and he he did. He got his hand all over. He batted it down. It was as excited as the defense got almost the entire day. So that <laughs> it's that type of stuff. Like, yeah. and it's that type of stuff you want to see even more of in 2021. So Richie Grant, he mm-hmm. uh, for most second round picks you're they're on the field like they're they're usually running with the ones uh, it seems right. like that's not the case and i understand when they brought in eric harris and ron Harmon, it seemed like okay they were gonna go with the veteran route because those guys are both one-year deals like yep. transition at the position a little bit because you had younger guys like jalen hawkins and then they drafted richie grant but it seems almost uh, according to your reporting that maybe he's not even getting the full second team reps what's up with richie yeah, I mean that's what I'm trying to figure out is because like this is your second round draft pick, right. like that's what you, high, everything yeah. you're talking a high pick. Like <laughs> this is ev- this is the guy that you brought in to, in my opinion, be the future face of this group. Like you know, like they this is a a, a mm-hmm. safety's position that is being it was tore down and it's built back up. You know, they had to right. go out and get Eric Harrison, Daron Harmon, just because they needed some veterans <laughs> back there. They like it, they literally these guys have one guy. <laughs> literally one and he barely played like right. it was that that's the thing is they didn't have anybody and so they needed needed people they needed bodies and so they went out and got Eric and Duran and it, you know Arthur Smith has called out Eric and Duran both for being you know these guys are going to be very important to this year mm-hmm. um they're very important to that position group they are experienced they're intelligent they they're able to pick up on what Dean Pease is putting in and that's all that you are asking for on guys on one year deals like they're yeah. not going to be around for forever <laughs> Richie Grant is going to be around for a while so i i know there's there's not like a super intense urgency to get him like really ready to go in 2021 because you do have Eric and Duran. But I was expecting more looks for him than I think what he's getting right now. Because right now it's Duran and it's Eric. And then from there it's Jalen Hawkins and it's TJ Green, who was not even on my radar at all going into camp. I didn't like, not at all. That was not a name that Uh, I I even... I don't think he was on anybody's radar. No, yeah. And he's out there running with Jalen with the twos. And so that's been very interesting to me. And, and Richie Grant is a lot of times with the threes and, hmm. you know, the would, would be threes. Yeah. And, and even in like rotations, you know, like where they're looking at different groups of people all together, I don't see him getting in there as much as I thought he was going to. Um, so I, I don't know if he, I, you know, I wrote this the other day, like, Maybe he just needs to flash more. Maybe he's having, I know what the very first time we talked to him in OTAs or rookie camp, he made the comment that he was like, it's, it, it's a lot. Like I'm trying to, you know, yeah, like get yeah. the scheme. So maybe he's having some trouble just like really getting a hold of the scheme. Maybe he just needs more time to, I don't know, to ask questions and to see what Eric and Duran are doing, you yeah. know, maybe. That, or have it like know, translate this, out onto the field. Take exactly. what you're learning in the, in the classroom and then make that, kind of mind muscle connection where you're not now reacting. You're kind of being proactive to get where you need to go. I can see, I could see that being the, and we do sometimes see this. I think it happens a lot with offensive linemen is Mm, they're almost kind of like separate, like the rookies 
are not even really part of the mix until late in training camp. And, mm-hmm. and they're just kind of like, all right, you guys are off on, on your own. You're running with the third team, whatever, because we need all of our the guys who are ready to be getting live reps with the first team. Like, we don't need anybody in here kind of screwing stuff up for them. I do think you see that from time to time. It's just weird. You don't usually see it with a second round pick. No. And that that's what's the most shocking part about this is like the expectation <laughs> for Richie Grant was to be out there. And I, I love him. I'm excited to I see know. him as a player. I think people are going to really enjoy like him and who he is and his story and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think he's going to be a good player, but it's just we haven't gotten yeah. to see a lot of him yet. And, you know, they're putting the pads on on Tuesday. We'll get to see more, you know, like we'll get to be able to get a better feel. They're building the pieces, building the box up. Like, so maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll get to see um, with the scrimmages coming up, we'll get to see mm-hmm. him in action more. But right now, I haven't seen as much of him as I thought it was going to. Yeah, that is interesting. But let's, you know, it's probably not smart on my end as a host to uh, start with the second round pick when everybody's excited about the number four overall <laughs> pick. Um, but Kyle Pitts, does he look as good as advertised? Or yeah, does, is it kind of like, oh yeah, I, I get why this guy is a generational uh, talent? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, one of the things that I talked to, um, you know, I talked to a lot of people, coaches, scouts, like about what it is that makes Kyle Pitts special. And one of the quotes that I, I think it was from his tight ends coach in Florida. He was like, the first time I ever was in the same like room with Kyle Pitts, he was like, he was running. It was out on the field. He was running. And he was like, he ran by me and I felt his speed. <laughs> he was like, there are not many people that you can, fe-. he was like, you feel the speed of like a thoroughbred racehorse is he captain he america like, like yeah, right yeah like just waiting for him like with the shield like you know that's exactly <laughs> on your left that's exactly on your left yeah no that's exactly it and he is that in person you know he is so long so tall he's built so different than i think what the traditional tight end is he's yeah. not a traditional tight end he is the marker of what the future of tight ends is going to be. I, I really, really think so. And so it's really exciting watching him and watching where he lines up and, and you know, the asset that he is, mm-hmm. especially when you don't have Julio. I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest question is like, who's going to make up for what Julio was for the Falcons? Yeah. And I have said this for a couple of times and I, I said like, there doesn't need to be like a ton of pressure on Kyle Pitts to be that because Kyle Pitts needs to be Kyle Pitts and, and Calvin Ridley needs to be Calvin Ridley and, and they need to go out and do what they do best because what Julio does, there aren't many people who can do what Julio does. We all know <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but there are also not very many people who can do what Kyle Pitts does and it's establishing that it's Arthur Smith figuring out what schematically works best for this offense. Because I do think that he and Dean Pease both are just trying to figure out, okay, what are we even doing with this group? Like, yeah. what does, like, they're trying to figure out what scheme is going to work for this group. And what, that's why they're throwing, I think, a lot of things at them right now is because it's like, what's going to work with this group? Well, you yeah. know yeah. the asset of Kyle Pitts. So try a bunch of different things and see what <laughs> sticks with him because there's going to be a lot that sticks with him because he just has the makeup of someone who's going to be a playmaker. I mean, that's, that's as simple as it is. And and he can be a playmaker all over the place. I think, you know, when yeah. you when you said he's what tight ends are going to be 
Tom, I think, you know, what you're getting at and correct me if I'm wrong, but just like the versatility that, that he yeah. brings, you know, like mm-hmm. you can essentially play him as a wide receiver and they're they're The fact that they could break the huddle in a, a 12 personnel grouping and go four wide out of it, essentially. Yeah. I mean, cause Hayden Hurst is a great athlete as well. Like he's the best mm-hmm. number two tight end probably in the league. And he's because he's a number one and you've got both yeah. of them and they're both athletically capable enough to split out wide if, if you need them to. Mm-hmm. So they can get really creative, but it is interesting because, you know, I was there and covered uh, the transition over to Sark and then obviously with Dirk, but that is something that coaches talk about because it is true is the adjustment that a coach has to make with a player. And so mm-hmm. yeah, it's not just the player learning a new scheme. It's really, okay, well, schemes can be malleable. Yeah, you can do a lot of different things within the confines of whatever your quote unquote scheme is. And it's really how you feature the players to really make it as dynamic and tough to defend as possible. But that takes time. That takes the yeah. coaching staff understanding the player as well. Cause there, there's one thing to watch video on a guy or talk to other coaches or whatever, but it's totally different to get to work with them directly and see, okay, well maybe there's this like Dave Brock seeing Russell Gage and, and saying, I can turn this guy into a good wide receiver. Yeah. How many coaches around the league would have done something like that? So that's where the coach can make a big impact is seeing the potential in a guy, but that takes the hand on experience. So have you noticed any things scheme wise? I know it's so early and they really are just installing a lot of stuff now, but mm-hmm. comparing and contrasting what the offense and defense looked like last year and mm-hmm. what they were trying to do versus this year, just what have you seen? Yeah, I think the easiest example is on defense. I think yeah. uh, because Dean Pease, you go, you, you were talking earlier about how it's on, you know, it's on the coaches to also figure out what they have. That is exactly what Dean Pease has done in his, throughout his entire career. He has always taken a look at what his personnel is, taken a look at who who does what well, and he has shifted what he does to meet that. And I think that's why he's had so much success as a defensive play caller. You look at this defense, you look at who they have at their disposal. There were so many people that were like, when Dean Pease was hired, they're like, oh, they're going to be a three, four. They do not have a lineman that would really succeed in a three, four. That's, they don't have that. That's not how this roster is constructed. That's not what's going to work for this roster. Right now, they've been ro- running a lot out of a four-two-five, which mm-hmm. I think makes sense. And you know, it's going to be interesting to see some of those, uh, like uh, Jake T- Toy Mariner, Stephen yeah. Means. Like I know J- uh, Tui on yeah, the, literally the other day he was standing up the entire time. I know that's time. that's going to be so weird to see. So weird because like I don't think we saw him stand up like at all last no, he's, year. He's a four-three end with his yeah. hand in the ground. Yeah, exactly. He was standing up the entire time on. <laughs> Sunday. So it's that type of stuff. It's like, they're, you know, they're trying to figure out, okay, like who, what, what do we have here? Okay. We don't really have anything for a three, four. Like we, we just don't. Yeah. Tyler Davison is what your best option at nose tackle, but he's not a nose tackle. Well, let's see. I have the roster right here. I'm just going to look it up. (laughs) Like how, like how big is Tyler Davidson? Hold on. Let me find it. There's Marlon. Also speaking of Marlon, I think Marlon is going to be very exciting to watch this year. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, because like Grady, Grady and, and Marlon could be maybe like three, four ends. Yeah. But that, again, that 
kind of taking away what Grady does best. He's a exactly. one gap guy. Like yeah. just let him get across the face of a guard and penetrate the a gap. And like, there you go. You don't, yeah. you don't need him worried about taking on double teams constantly. Exactly. Okay. So Tyler Davison on my official roster that I was handed <laughs> at practice the other day, he is three Oh nine, six, two Grady Jarrett, six, right on the dot and three Oh five. Yeah. You, you need, are, you need somebody not, who's 345 pounds. Exactly. They're yeah. not your nose tackles in a three, four. Like that's not <laughs> happening. And I need people to understand this because I need people to stop asking me if they're going to be a three, four, because it doesn't make sense. They don't have the personnel for that. Right. Um, so I, that's the best example that I could give. It's like of how going back to what you were saying about how coaches are trying to fit players players also trying to fit coaches with the example of Tui like mm-hmm. that they're they're just really figuring out that's why I said at the very very beginning it's like this is still very early in the install they yeah. are still trying to figure things out and you know one day it's going to click you know one one day everything's going to fall into place and they'll they'll have their identity but right now they're still looking for it how how's Matt been looking i mean aside aside from developing world class sprinter speed uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Outside of uh, the speed training and uh, also the, the appearance of the ice cubes the other day, which is well, uh, Matt, Matt's sons. I love them. Um, they're the cutest. Uh, but so, okay. So Matt, I was super interested because the day that we talked to him, the secondary tipped almost every ball, every ball <laughs> that these quarterbacks were throwing, it felt like the secondary had their hand on at least one out of every two. And I was like, is this like a, this like Matt Ryan not doing well? Or is this the secondary, like just coming alive here? Yeah. Yeah, Like in day three of training camp. And, um, it's really interesting because I mean, you, you've heard Matt talk and he, you know, he, he's always very like straightforward and you know, he, but he was saying how this is still a process for him and it's trying, you know, it's trying to figure out like what this offense looks like trying to figure out, okay you know, getting on the same page with like a Kyle Pitts, you know, this is the first yeah. time they're working together, making sure they're on the same page. I think he's, he said, and I, you know, everybody can take this how they want to, but he said that he feels as good as he's ever felt going into a season at 36 years old. That's what he's saying. I mean, people can believe that take him like for what he says, whatever, but that's what he said. And that he, you know, he said, when we were talking to him earlier in the year, you know, when we are all thinking maybe the Falcons would draft a quarterback. Is that something that they're going to do with the number four pick in the draft? That's something that we were thinking about. Everybody was talking about it. And even then he said, I have a lot of good football left in front of me. And he stuck with that narrative. He said it the other day. And I, you know, I am really excited to see what Arthur Smith does with him. Because yeah. Arthur Smith said when we were talking to him, somebody asked him, like, when did you kind of come to the decision that Matt was the guy that you wanted? And he he said, he was like, it was fairly early on. He was like, because when you look at it, and he was like, you know, take away salary cap stuff, take away contract stuff. He was like, you're just looking at the player. He was like, we want guys who can go out and play. Matt mm-hmm. Ryan is still going out and playing very well. And what Matt Ryan needs is for the run game to be established. (laughs) And I will die on this hill because Lord knows they can't run. They couldn't run the ball last year. And that's something that is going to be so important for Matt Ryan is that it's not just the Falcons are not just one dimensional as an offensive unit. They have to be able to do a lot of different things 
because they got too predictable towards the end of last year. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big spiel though. I could go on and on about <laughs> well, that. It, let's no, let's, let's dive into that. So how, how is the pecking order at running back really been playing out? Cause it, it seems, it seems like Mike Davis, Mike Davis is a very good um, replacement option for them on, on a one-year deal. And, and I think that as Arthur Smith has, has said many, many times, like there's no replacing Derrick Henry. He's, yeah. he's a one-of-a-kind player. But I think in Mike Davis, if you were to sit there and say, okay, well, what makes Derrick Henry really good outside of the freakish size and, and speed? It's, yeah. you know, he's, he's got great contact balance. Yep. He's got good, like kind of short area uh, quickness. He's got good vision. Um, he's he's reliable. Like he doesn't really put the ball on the ground a ton. Like I think Mike Davis is a little bit of like a poor man's version of a lot of those qualities. Yeah. And so I, we, I think that it's clear he's probably going to get the the first crack at being the quote unquote starter. Um, but I look at Porterell Patterson as he's he's the unicorn in this group. Um, Mm -hmm. because he just does a bunch of different things. I mean, that's another thing. We go back to 12 personnel. If he's in the backfield, that's like five wide receivers. Yeah. It's like, you don't know what you have no idea as a secondary, what's going to happen. Yeah. It's nuts. But I, I almost like put him in a, in a separate category because I I think Quadri Allison is the guy and I'm so glad for him to really kind of finally get his shot. It seems like now. Um, but he is more comparable to that traditional running back role like yes. Mike Davis. Do you think that if if anything were to happen to Mike Davis, do you think even if Quadri's like, quote unquote, the, the third running back on the depth chart, it seems like he would maybe vault Porterell and become your de facto starter. Is that the read that you're getting uh, through four days of camp? Yeah, very much so. I mean, like what you said, I know when we were talking, uh, like right when CP was brought on, it was Mm -hmm. like, is he going to be a gadget guy? Yes. (laughs) Like he is like, you, you don't have somebody with his, he has such a weird skill set. Like he, he can play, he can wear a lot of hats. Um, and I think he's going to be good in the return game, but he's not a traditional back. It's like Montgomery a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good comparison. I think, um, but with Mike Davis and Quadri Allison, they do fit more of that mold. And they, especially in like this scheme. And so I think when you're looking at Mike Davis and Quadri Allison, it's like, I'm not entirely sure what the carry load is going to be. Like, I don't know what the, I, I feel like I can't even really get a good gauge of that right now. And I feel like it's not something I'm going to get a good gauge on until maybe four weeks into the season. Yeah. Um, what, what that carry load looks like for Mike Davis specifically. Um, is he like the, the The every down? Yeah. Like, is he the guy, the workhorse, like all that kind of stuff? I don't know yet because I don't know what that is going to look like with, like Mm -hmm. within this game and with this personnel, but Quadre Olsen, I think is the next guy up. Like, I think, you know, I put quotes around that because, you know, that can get a little weird sometimes according to personnel, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's Mike Davis and Quadre Olsen and then CP as a gadget guy that's absolutely what i think that's absolutely what i think i'm seeing when i'm watching them practice you know it, over the last four days um I, I think going back to your point about liking to see this from quadri allison i couldn't agree more mm-hmm. um i think he is somebody that even the fan base has always questioned like why do we not see more of him and, and like why why is that is he just not fitting 
with what the old staff was doing or is is there something else going on? And I really do think he maybe didn't fit what, you know, Dirk Cutter wanted to do with the offense. And I yeah. think like that's why he slid so far down. And I think this staff sees something different in him and, and they're wanting to develop that further and see what they have in him. In him. Otherwise, you keep Edo Smith. Like, right. you know, like they, they had an opportunity to like, you know, just who, who has been the more productive player. Like, I mean, exactly. if you're looking at comparing the two, at least Ito, you know, was, was out there, was doing stuff. A lot of times Quadri was kind of on the non-active list. Yeah. He was one of those uh, designations, but I remember, I think this was maybe the year before you, you joined the beat, but it was his rookie year. And late in the season, he kind of carved out the red zone goal line role. And DQ basically said, well, it was because he had great vision and like really good, just like the, the short area agility to just make one cut and get past the goal line or whatever. But it's weird for him to go as a rookie from having that important of a role. And then because it wasn't a lot of playing time, but like the, that was an important role. If you're the like yeah. goal line running back, like that's, that's a big right. job. And from, for him to go from that to just like being a healthy scratch for like mm-hmm. most of the past couple of seasons. Yeah, that's that's weird, but that's where I think you and I are, are happy for him to kind of finally get his shot to to see what he could do with extended minutes. Yeah, and that's exactly what I think is going to be the case this year, especially, I mean, if Mike Davis remains healthy, if Quadre remains healthy, like I think he's still going to get good carries. I really do. I think he is that number two, quote unquote. Yeah, um, let's briefly touch on the offensive line. Uh, because that's uh, that's the big <laughs> part of the running game as well. Um, I, I want to get to some of the newer guys or yeah. the, the year two guys, but I want to start with Chris Lindstrom because we yeah. talk about guys taking that leap. And I think we saw in his first healthy season last year, I thought he played really well. Like he was, mm-hmm. he's another person that I think got overlooked just because of all the other storylines, but it it's seeming like he's part of the young foundation of what could be a successful team moving forward. And it sounds like he's had a pretty good start to camp in year three. Have you seen him maybe take a little bit of a mini leap in his game as well? Or is it too early to tell? I think it's a little too early to tell with, with the offensive line just yet, just because they are kind of moving around a lot and there's a, you know, it's without the pads yeah, it's on, it's a little, so tough. but what I will say is that I think Chris Lindstrom is a favorite of Arthur Smith because I think even if I recall correctly, when we asked, like, when Arthur, the, his one of his very first press conferences, like, who are you excited to work with? After saying Youngway Koo, for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, after saying Youngway, young he said, he said Matt Ryan and he said Chris Lindstrom. And that is so telling because we know how much, emph- how much of an emphasis Arthur Smith puts in the trenches. The mm-hmm. fact that he consistently calls out Chris Lindstrom as being a, a good piece yeah. of that spot, I think is a, a, a very, it, I think it's very, very telling of the potential that they see in Chris Lindstrom and not just but the potential, but what he was able to do last year in a healthy mm-hmm. season. I agree that he was overlooked at times because, you know, there were some times where, I, I, you know, take the offensive line protection for what it is. It hasn't been good, but I think Chris Lindstrom as an individual has been good. Yes. And I think it's making sure that that, translates to everybody else on the offensive line (laughs) because just having one right guard that's good is not going to protect Matt Ryan. And it's just like, so you have to have that multiple spot, but 
you have to really, really like what Chris Lindstrom does day in, day out. He's incredibly consistent, which mm-hmm. I think is something that you very much want in a successful offensive lineman is consistency in whether that's run blocking, protect, pass pro, like whatever it may be. I do think he is a very consistent player. I agree. And I remember having a conversation with Thomas Mitchoff uh, about the offensive line and the philosophy where basically it's unlike any other position on the, the the group as a whole, because it doesn't, the individual talent doesn't matter as much as like you were saying is the success of the whole unit. And he yeah. basically uh, likened it to like links in a chain. Yeah, All it takes is, is one or two bad links in your chain. It doesn't matter. So it's, it's better to have kind of like five, even average players then maybe one great player, one good player, and three below average or, or bad guy. Like it doesn't matter yeah. if you have Quentin Nelson if everybody else on your offensive line is not great. So right. I think you know Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom. You know what you're going to get with those guys yeah. um, and and consistency. I think Caleb McGarry made some progress last year. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if he's like 100. percent Hey, we've we've got a right tackle for yeah. 10 years there, but I think there's the potential for him mm-hmm. to develop that. And I, I think he's not a bad player by any means, mm-hmm. but he's out uh, for a, a little bit of time here. Jalen Mayfield seems like he's getting the benefit of, of McGarry being out. What have you seen from him at right tackle? And I know that they've talked about potentially bumping him inside, but it seems like, you know, he played tackle in college and they've got a need right there. What have you seen from Jalen Mayfield? Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. I think the original school of thought when Jalen Mayfield was drafted is like he's the long-term answer at left guard. Yeah. Left guard is a position where we haven't known what the heck is going to happen at left guard for years. Like it's literally it's, like it's, six years in a row. Literally, <laughs> Since Andy for, yeah, yes, literally for years, it's been a question every single training camp leading up to week one, every single time. That was the school of thought. That's what I thought. But now we're at the point, and I even said this back in OTAs, I was like, maybe, you know, I I kind of like threw that out there as like a thought. I was like, what if like they moved Jalen Mayfield, like kept him at tackle? What if that, like, what if that (laughs) happened? And then I just like let it go. You know, the Julio stuff was happening. I went on vacation, come back to training camp. And, you know, Caleb McGarry is on the physically unable to perform list. And so they don't have a right tackle and Matt Gono is is unavailable because he could have maybe swung into that spot 100% and so now you are so let's say it was Caleb McGarry Matt Gono and then Jalen Mayfield Mm -hmm. now those two are gone Jalen Mayfield has such an opportunity right now to not just like establish himself at right tackle but to win the job because we don't know what you know, we know that Matt Gono isn't going to be out there at all for training camp. Arthur Smith said that he wasn't. Caleb McGarry's a little more up in the air. They're evaluating him, seeing how he's coming along. But, you know, for the time being, there's been, there's no move other than Jalen Mayfield being at right tackle. And I think it's very interesting that the whole time over, like when he was drafted, it was like, Oh, he'll be the long-term answer at left guard. And it's like, actually, no, he's competing for a starting spot at right tackle, which is where he is most comfortable. You know, he, he joked around when we talked to him during rookie camp about how uh, he was like, you can put me anywhere, like put me at quarterback. It's fine. Like, and you know, we all laughed or whatever, but we still in the back of our minds are probably like, Oh, like left guard, left guard, left guard. He's going to get a lot of reps there. He hasn't been at left guard one time. I don't think like, unless it, he was over on the other field and I didn't see, I have not yeah. seen him anywhere, but right tackle. And that's because one, they don't have depth 
at there at all. <laughs> right. He is the only guy that they can put there pretty much. Um, and two, he's comfortable there. He knows yeah. what he's doing there. He knows that position well. He did well. He did. I mean, he did well enough at Michigan to be a third round pick. Like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a big deal. And so I, I'm really excited to see what happens when they put on the pads. Um, I'm really excited to see what that looks like for him because, you know, right now it's really, again, it's really hard to yeah. gauge with this group more than any other group. It's hard to gauge this one when they don't have the pads on and they're not going full speed. Um, but I will say he's looked good at times. He's whiffed on some other times. I mean, he looks like what a rookie right tackle would look like. And so, yeah. um, it's going to be fun to watch this, especially when Caleb McGarry does come back, seeing what that competition looks like. Because, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of like excited and jazzed about seeing that because I want to know like who's going to emerge there. And I think Arthur Smith is probably feeling the exact same way because he just like loves it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, and I think to your point, like it's so hard to evaluate offensive line, but uh, it's like the one-on-one drills are really the only time that, that yeah. you get a kind of a good sense. Uh, but even then it's a little bit faulty. Cause I, like, I think ultimately at the end of the day, they're all on the same team. They're trying to make each other better. They, they're giving each other tips that, you know, they're, yeah. they're sitting there's the defensive lineman who is trying to help out Jalen as a rookie is going to say, Hey, look, when, when I do this, you need to put your hand here. Your leverage needs to be on the outside, not the inside. Like they're, they're trying to make each other better. They're competing. Yes. But once you're facing a guy for, three straight weeks, you start to learn all their, their moves, all their tricks. Right. And, and so it becomes difficult to evaluate specifically this just for that reason. Mm-hmm. But let's rapid fire touch on Matt Hennessy, uh, Josh Andrews and Drew Dahlman. What's the shuffle look like with, with those three kind of interior guys? Yeah. So I know when Josh Andrews signed his one year deal, I know that one of the reasons they brought him in was because he, you know, was a veteran. He, they could, he could slide into left guard. He could even challenge Matt Hennessy at center. Haven't seen him a lot at center at all. He is, I think going to be that left guard for the Falcons because he was coming into OTAs. I mean, he was there primarily at left guard the entire time. Same thing with training camp. Um, but something that I do think was interesting was Drew Dahlman has gotten more reps at left guard. Um, I, I thought that was very interesting. He's also gotten some reps at center. They really are moving him back and forth, center and left guard, center, left guard. Um, okay. He's he's really interesting to watch. And then Matt Hennessy has been, you know, he's the guy at center. And this is a huge year for Matt Hennessy yeah. because there's a lot of expectations on his shoulders. I mean, the weight of Alex Max, <laughs> like his years of the Falcons is like now riding on the shoulders of Matt <laughs> Hennessy. And like, I, I, that's, that's some tough shoes to fill because Alec, Alex Mack is a, a solid guy at center. Like, you know, yeah. he's just so, such a great bet, like really and truly. And, you know, but now he's in St. Fran. So now it's Matt Hennessy's job to not just like compete for that job, but to like establish himself mm-hmm. as the center I mean, that, that's, that's something that I remember talking to Jake Matthews and even Chris Lindstrom, I asked him the other day, what's the difference in Matt Hennessy year one to year two. And a big part of that is communication and how yeah. vocal he's become more. 
literally he's become more vocal. I mean, he, he was one of the, it was probably a situation where he didn't want to step, any toe, step on any toes when he was a rookie. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't want to do that either with Alex in the room with you. Like you don't want to like input. I wouldn't want to input anything. <laughs> um, but now he's the guy and he has to take up that mantle and he has to be vocal. And I think he's doing a good job of that. And I know that Arthur Smith has said a few times that they really like where he's at, that he's done everything they've asked him to do. Um, it, it, so really and truly, it's, again, one of those things where it's like, okay, let's see what he does live in a game when the stakes are high. Like, yeah. let's see let's see what Matt Hennessy's like. Um, but, yeah, Drew Dahlman kind of switching around a little bit. Josh Andrews kind of sticking at left guard. I think that's probably – if I had to make an, a guess – today four days into training camp who the starting five on the offensive line would be I because I haven't seen Caleb McGarry at all <laughs> literally would put Jalen Mayfield Chris Lindstrom Matt Hennessy Josh Andrews Jake Matthews that that's what it would look like today yeah uh, that, um, that makes a lot of sense I mean I, I think that depending on Caleb how like how yeah. healthy is he? How much does the coaching staff trust him to just, if he gets limited training camp time, do they slot him back in there? How much does Jalen Mayfield win this job? Like, I, I don't know how much, and I don't think anybody really knows how much of an actual battle this is. Um, yeah. And I guess we'll find out when Caleb is able to return. But I, I think I liked your point about Matt Hennessy because one of the things that made Alex Mack so valuable to this team in this offense was that he made, he made all the offensive line calls. For yeah. Matt Ryan. I mean, that on a lot of teams, the quarterback is in charge of not only the audibles for the, the play itself, but a lot of the offensive line checks and, hey, we've got pressure coming over here, all that stuff. Alex Mack did all of that for Matt Ryan. It allowed Matt to really focus on reading the defense. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that role Matt Hennessy takes on, or does that burden kind of go back on Matt's shoulders? Um, so that I'm absolutely interested in, in watching him in particular because he is so... <coughs> Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> because he is so so vital um, for not only the the current the present but the future of the offensive line. Uh, yeah. My last my last question before I I let you go. Um, and this because every year you know watching training camp it's early but you kind of uncover that guy where you're, it's a personal favorite just to watch or or you're kind of rooting for him or. You know, it's it's somebody who you mentioned TJ Green, like you'd never heard of him before. And then they kind of like pop and you're just like, who is this guy? And you have to kind of keep looking down at the roster because you don't know the jersey number right off the top of your head. But you haven't told the world about him yet because you're not sure. You're not like 100% of this dude's going to be a star. So like I'm, I'm tweeting it out. I'm, I'm putting it out there right now that this is my guy. I'm standing for him. Do you have somebody like that yet? Because I, oh. I had years where I thought Eric Saubert was going to be in the Hall of Fame based on like every training camp that he had <laughs> because he just would ball out. And so, uh, so like that would be an example where I was just like, man, if, if fans who watch the games on Sundays just could be here for this three-week stretch and see the one-handed catches this dude's making on the sidelines, mm-hmm. like he would be their new favorite player. But yeah. obviously I wasn't about to just be like, Eric Saubert's going to the Hall of Fame on Twitter because I'd... I didn't want to get roasted. Right, so, right, yeah. so do you have somebody like that where you're just kind of like, you know what? 2021 camp, like this dude's off to a really good start. Yeah. Chris Williamson. I I've actually, you know, I actually have gone on the record. I think I tweeted it a couple times <laughs> and even like, I think I even wrote about him. 
he is very surprising at corner. He's like TJ Green. And I maybe also I'm talking a lot about the secondary because I spent a lot of time over the last two days watching <laughs> yeah. them. But Chris Williamson, man, he he did some good things for the last like two days of camp. Like literally Saturday and Sunday. I don't know if he was just jazzed because there were fans <laughs> there or what, but he was making some really great plays. I mean, he was in contention a lot with some of those 50-50 balls. Like I, I was very surprised because again like tj green he was not on my radar chris williamson was not somebody on my radar even arthur smith was like chris williamson keeps showing up like he (laughs) he does he's he that was the direct quote chris williamson (laughs) keeps showing up and i i like what i see from him i really really do i'm trying to think if there are some other ones i will say you know the guy who i just adored in camp last year was michael walker uh, oh, I, yeah. I thought he was amazing. I was like, Michael Walker's the guy. I know he's a rookie, but he's the guy. I loved watching Michael That's Walker. That's a good take. I still, I still do love watching Michael Walker, but I know, I know now how he fits in to the, like the scheme yeah. and everything with Boyer and Dion. Um, and I know, I feel like he's going to have a good, a good year too as well. But right now going on the record and saying Chris Williamson is my guy the first four days of camp and <laughs> I'm sure that will change at some point. But for right now, that's the name I'm sticking with. <laughs> that's, that's a good pick. I, I remember last year, Tyler Hall and, and Delrick yeah. Abrams were like two guys where early on, I was like, who are these corners? Like yeah, they, they just look really it. good. Yeah. And I, I had a, this is slightly embarrassing, but it was early on, like one of the first three days of camp last year and the receivers were running their routes kind of on the, the end zone nearest the hill. Okay. And I was watching what I thought was Julio at the time and just running like these incredible routes, like, you know, out routes, cutting at full speed, then catching it, like tiptoeing the the sideline in the end zone. I was like, yep, Julio looks great. And then about halfway through that practice period, I realized it was Christian Blake. And I was like, is Christian ah. Blake going to be the best receiver in the NFL? <laughs> yes. I'm glad you brought up Christian Blake because he's on that list for me too, where I'm like, he looks so good in camp. I thought he was Julio. And then That's, I was okay. like, I felt like an idiot. Okay, that makes me feel so much better because I've been high on Chris uh, uh, Christian Blake this entire camp. I know we're only four days in, so that's not really saying a whole bunch, yeah. a whole lot. But like, I really am. I was watching him. I was like, he made a great catch down the sideline. <laughs> like, holy cow, this, this Christian Blake guy is killing it. And I thought the exact same thing last camp as well. So I'm glad that like we were on, <laughs> we were on the same page about Christian Blake. Like, I don't know where he's going to like fit in with these receivers. I mean, he has an opportunity in front of him. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, but I'm glad you brought him up because I <laughs> forgot about him. I overlooked him on my roster and I went straight to Chris Williamson, but I'm putting, I'm putting Christian Blake on, on that list as well. <laughs> All right. Christian Blake is going to be the next Julio Jones says the athletics, Tori McElhaney. <laughs> heard it, heard it here first, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tori, this was awesome. Thank you so much for hopping on again, everybody, please go read what she writes. It's fantastic at the athletic, um, follow her on Twitter at Tori McElhaney. Um, enjoy the rest of, of your day off. Uh, keep, oh, thank you. <laughs> keep loading up on the sunscreen, uh, stay hydrated out there. Cause August has just begun. Uh, so yeah. that that's tough, but Tori, thank you so much for, for hopping on. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. All right. We will. Talk to you later. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, it was uh, 
enjoyed that conversation immensely with Tori. It was so good. I thought it was very insightful. There, there were a million different directions that we could have taken that conversation. I mean, we probably could have talked for two hours. Um, again, it's just that exciting to have football in a meaningful way back back in our lives. And it's a shame, too, that uh, we recorded that interview one day before Kyle Pitts made apparently the play of training camp so far, tipping or catching the tipped ball, I guess, that bounced um, off of the defender's knee and then he caught it in the end zone. If that play had happened on Sunday in a game, I mean, that's one of the top three plays on SportsCenter. I don't even know if people watch the SportsCenter top 10. I'm sure ESPN hopes that they do. But um, it seems like uh, things are progressing really well in training camp so far. The defense always usually has an early lead, but I think legitimately from the clips that I've seen, the defense looks to be in pretty good position. I mean, I've seen it in years past and uh, these corners are all over the wide receivers. And yeah, again, it's early defense usually wins the day in the, in the early parts of camp. But if there's one unit that I think we would all want to see perform really well early on, it's the defense because I think we all trust the offense to get there. Given that you have a veteran quarterback in place, you've got a good, really good young wide receiver, a generational, like there are good players on the offense. I think we trust for that to come around eventually the defense we all question marks about and through five days seems like that side of the ball is doing pretty well um so uh, again it's early we'll keep an eye on it um but i hope that that you guys got a lot of insight from from what tori had to say and this is kind of the plan over the next few weeks is try to talk to the guys who who are up there again i'm going to try to get up to uh, a practice or two myself and lay eyes on everything um in person but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and of course, I will keep you guys informed. Uh, as always, today's episode was presented by Bet Online, And I will see you guys again next week. Please like uh, and subscribe to the podcast. Tell your people about it. Um, let them know. Let me know. DM, DM me if, if you've got suggestions for ways that I can improve, things that I'm, I'm good at, that I'm bad at. Any suggestions are are always welcome. Um, And as always, take care. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.